welcome to episode 201 of Effect, Faster Than Light. My name's Matthew. And I'm Dave. And in today's show, I would tell you what we've got, but my iPad has just gone off. Uh, no, it's back again now. <clears throat> so in today's show, we are going to be taking one of our irregular delves into the Three League Workshop Showcase, as we call it. So we've got 12 uh, community-created, uh, fan-created items um, across, oh, I'm not sure how many, uh, probably 10 A whole different, bunch different games. of games. And Matthew and I are going to have a little chat about those um, later on. And, you know, it's always great fun delving into what other people have created for these games that we love so much. So we'll be talking about that. Um, that That's going to be the meat of our show. We've obviously got uh, our World of Gaming segment to come before that. Um, but otherwise, um, do we have any any fresh patrons to thank this week? Matthew? We have no fresh patrons to, uh, no. to thank uh, But today. we can thank all our unfresh patrons. Existing patrons. If that's the yeah, right one. I mean... You unfresh patrons. But yes, thank you all for being unfresh um, and supporting us. It's great. Yes, yeah. I, I, you know, th these are hard times, and people, mm. um, you know, people are finding their resources stretched in this time of uh, heavy inflation and rising fuel prices. So the fact that you are still committed to us, yes, uh, is is lovely. And is, thank you very much. Absolutely, that. it's superb. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, world of gaming, Dave. What have we got in the world of gaming? Um, we've got, um. A Sunday morning hangover is actually what I've got. Do you want me to start with the world of gaming, Dave? <laughs> uh, no, no, well, no. Okay, go on then. We, we, okay. we, we have got two or three things, actually, which um, are all yeah. really interesting. But yeah, go on. You go first. Okay. First of all, the most exciting thing, I think, particularly for you and I, Dave, yes. uh, is uh, Free League's release of a draft of what they're calling the, the FTL. FTL. The Faster than light. The free tabletop license. Yes. So they were using the OGL to um, to release, if you like, the SRD of the Year Zero engine. Now they are, have written their own license uh, after all the OGL shenanigans of yeah. uh, episodes pass him. And it's great. And now, what I haven't done, Dave, is look really deeply into mm. the content in the SRD. I've noticed that the SRD is massively expanded on the previous Year Zero SRD. The biggest change I've noticed is there's a bunch of magic there. So, um, yes, yes. Our patron Dave that wanted to make his own um, magical setting. Oh, sorry, fantasy yeah. setting. for The Chronicles um, of Ashgara, uh, for the yeah. lands setting he's been working on for ages. Um, and he was got... very worried that the, the, the magic bits of... Uh, of of forbidden lands weren't necessarily available to him to use in yeah. in the in the game world. Now they're in the SRD, so that makes that part of his job a hell of a lot easier. Anyway, yes, yeah, so that's absolutely. really good. Have you noticed anything about it? Have you had a chance to read I, it in I, your new busy life? I sadly haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, so I was I was going to kind of rely upon you to to tell me if this has. Uh, yeah, what implications this has for us in, um, you know, with Tales of the Old West, if we end up, um, if we end up um, doing that ourselves and not through the auspices of the lovely guys at Free League. Yeah, or even if we do it in partnership with them or whatever, uh, we might still want to do this. We've got a new logo. <laughs> That's what I like. Um, 
and a better logo, I have to say, than the previous year zero. <laughs> that that is the logo. most important thing, isn't it? Certainly for you, a good logo is uh, is key to yeah. You know, screw what's actually in the document, as long as it's got a good logo, it's fine. <laughs> the the problem with the old logo is that it was very long and doesn't necessarily fit well into uh, you know whatever graphic design it, you're doing for the no, for the cover of your quite, book. It's quite intrusive, isn't it? Yeah, and, and if you made it smaller, um, then it becomes almost unreadable. So that yeah. wasn't good. The new logo is a lot more versatile because it's squarer. And when you're talking about what we call secondary branding, which is what this is, because obviously, you know, our game is the big brand, whatever it is, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. that was good to see. Cool. That's a minor point, though. Um, and actually, <laughs> the, the logo does touch on uh, the, the most interesting point. So... Uh, they have been really clear to say of the license. So the license I have read all the way through, because right. it's only a page long, so it didn't take me long. Um, <laughs> I've I've read it all the way through and thought about it in comparison to the o OGL. Some of the things in there, it not only says perpetual, it also says irrevocable. So right. some of the legal argument around whether it could be revoked or the OGL could be revoked is therefore made express explicitly, hopefully explicitly impossible. You yeah. know what lawyers are, by the way. Yeah, um, but it's, it's going to make it very, very hard, though. I mean, having put that, yeah, you know, and and rightly so, having put that caveat into the into the license, um, yeah, I, I think it does yeah, almost no. effectively make it impossible. I'm not sure how they could get yeah, around that good. later on. And the interesting thing, obviously, it protects all their IP, which is good because you know that's why the companies do this sort of thing. Yes, if they. If they didn't care that you, uh, if they wanted to let you use their IP, their license would be a lot shorter. And I point to the Morkborg license for that. We will return to the Morkborg license in a, later on in this program. Mm -hmm. But um, so they, it's generally very freeform. So they're protecting their IP, but they're letting us as creators do what we want. You don't even need to put the the Year Zero engine logo on there. Um, obviously, I think it probably helps the marketing if people are a fan of Year Zero Engine. Yeah. But maybe if you're selling something to people who aren't fans, um, uh, then maybe not. But uh, I mean, that's it's, fine. It's good to have it as an option, isn't it? I mean, because again, yeah. the more the more kind of branding and logos you put on, you know, on your on your document, the more cluttered it might be. So it might not be something you'd want to do. I would yeah, suspect yeah, that most people would want to put it in somewhere because it is something that's very recognisable to those people who, you know, who know anything about Free League. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I, good I to, think, it's good to have the choice, I guess, isn't it? I think so. I think, you know, maybe there's a point where you've moved it so far beyond year zero, it's hardly recognisable. Maybe. You might then want to say, yeah. actually, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be weighed down by expectations of year zero. That's However, they point, yeah. This is one of the um, one of the interesting things about it is they have said we reserve the right to ask you not to use the logo. Right. Okay. That's so. That's... If you are dead set on producing a controversial game, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Not not um, as a good guys or something or. Uh... Yeah, yeah, or yeah, or or something like the old fate, and you're using the not fate. Um, sorry, fate isn't controversial. Um, what's the word? Fatal. Fatal is yes. the is the famously controversial game with um, with stuff in it, and I'm not going to talk about it right now. No. Um, but I think but absolutely, if you, if, yeah, 
having the right. If to you want to do take, a new version of that, take their name off that is um, is is very sensible. Yeah. So I thought that was um, an interesting clause yeah. that I haven't seen, and you know, it's one of the reasons why Wizards of the Coast said that they were changing the rules of the mm. OGL was to stop that happening. Yeah. And or you know to stop people using this system to produce horrible content and and these guys are saying well you can't obviously we can't stop you producing horrible content we're just <laughs> not gonna, just we're just not gonna name on it, endorse please. it no exactly don't, yeah. don't think for a second we're gonna we're gonna support you and there's and the stuff there even if you're not producing horrible content that you know there's a little phrase in there that says it's based on the system but freely don't endorse it as well yeah in small print is a thing that you've got to include so um yeah, that all looked really good for us um, if we're producing a game based on this. The thing I haven't good. checked in the system reference document is the, um, do they do the step dice thing? I imagine they've probably included the new step dice methodology in there as well, but I haven't actually checked. Yeah, okay. That, that would make sense, wouldn't it? It um, would do. Why, um, it why doesn't matter you, for me. Why would I'd... you exclude it? Yeah. Uh, I... I don't care because I don't like the new step size system. No, but, I agree. Um, Likewise. Um, yeah. No, I'm not, not but, a big uh, fan of it either. Uh, but yeah, cool. Good. I mean, it's good. And, you know, good things coming out of the whole Wizards of the Coast debacle are that, you know, companies like Free League have been been encouraged to do to do their own thing and, and really clarify yeah. stuff for everybody who wants to make games based on their license which is cool which is really good and so well done wizards thank you for that one of the funniest things actually this is not on our running order but i'm going to say it anyway i read an article in you Dice can't Breaker, say which... things that aren't on our running order matthew you know that we do it all that. the time damn, damn you we do it all the time go on then remember that time when ken height was shot that wasn't on our running order but i still <laughs> talked about it but you still went and shot him <laughs> i went and shot him yeah just so that we'd that have was... something newsworthy to talk about Sorry, that in wasn't... that dull post-Christmas episode. That was a, that was a slightly un- insensitive comment. I do apologise, Kent. Um, I hope you're recovering well, mate. Um, I believe he is. I believe he is. Yeah. I was listening to Ken Robin only earlier in the week, and he seemed to be fine. Good. Um, Good. Now, what I what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was reading Dicebreaker. I met the guys from Dicebreaker when I went to Essen a couple of years ago, and they were lovely people, so I kind of keep an eye on their um, website. And they were complaining about uh, one of these new systems, which I think is the Black Flag system that is being developed by Kobold, who've made their fortune out of producing 5e-compatible stuff. Uh, They're a bit disappointed at Dicebreaker that it isn't really very different from 5e. And I'm thinking, well, if you've produced a bunch of stuff for 5e and you're making your own system... Why the hell would you make your own system different from all the stuff you've already produced? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, so luckily, you know, our system is very different from 5e and we love it. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. No, cool. Good, good. Right. What else do we have? Um, so there's a, yeah, a couple of bits of news. The um, uh, there's been a, a new UK-based campaign for Tales from the Loop has been um, has mm-hmm. been launched. They grow up so fast. Now I assume and I talk, think that is launching about, pre-order. I th- I'm assuming they're talking about children rather than weeds. Um, well, um, I wouldn't like to comment. I've not read the campaign yet. Uh, I think no, if you if you pre-order it now, you get a PDF or an alpha PDF for it. Um, 
and I think some of our patrons have. I'm waiting for our review copies, uh, so I haven't read the middle. Uh, you haven't <laughs> bought it, have you? No, I haven't, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, the only reason I haven't bought it is that I, I've got no idea when I'm likely to play it. And with my new newfound job, even though I've got more work than I can possibly cope with at the moment, which is fantastic... Um, it does earn me significantly less money than I used to, so I'm having to be a little mm-hmm. bit more careful about about what I about what I buy. So uh, yeah, for those reasons only, um, I haven't uh, I haven't succumbed to the temptation to to get that one. But um, yeah, I mean, great. I mean, inter- really interesting to uh, you know, expand into the UK and expand around the Norfolk Loop. I think it is, isn't it, for this one? Mm. Um, yeah. So the Norfolk Loop was. In I think uh, our friends of machines and other tales, mm. which was a supplement that I don't think is easy to get hold of. Definitely not in print anymore. Um, but it, in there, it, it kind of explained how to build your own local loop. Um, I mean, not not how to build a working particle accelerator that <laughs> creates strange things, but how to how to turn any setting into a loop setting. Yeah. Uh, and it used this Norfolk setting as an example. Um, and now um, Oz Mills has built on it and uh, created four adventures that go around it, a bit like the four adventures in the core book. Indeed. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good. I mean, I've, I'm just flicking through um, Out of Time, which is a, a, a like a campaign supplement for, yeah. for, for Tales from the Loop. Um, haven't played it, haven't read it all the way through. But again, it's just, you know, just by picking it off the shelf, mm-hmm. it makes me want to play it. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. just the feel of it. A bit like Verson, you know, just picking the book up. Um, we don't play enough. We don't. Uh, Towers in the Loop, do no. we? No, no we all, all Verson, actually. That. I'm very keen to play more of both, really. But um, yeah, no. Not sure, not uh, sure when I'm going to get the chance to do it. So it's quite funny. So my little, my little group. Um, that we play on a Wednesday evening. We've, yep. had, we've had a couple of extra people join. And so we are trying to expand the number of games. So I'm now thinking about running something with the group again. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to have to be low prep <laughs> because I don't have time to to prepare, um, you know, in-depth campaigns. But I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling about what to play. So I've kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my, my top three we're going to be Forbidden Lands, Coriolis, or Star Trek. Um, and then I thought, well, Mutant Year Zero. Oh, actually, I'll come on to that in a minute. Talk, looking at one of the things from the from the Free League workshop made me think. <laughs> made me think. Oh, blimey, I would love to get back into the year, Mutant Year Zero universe. Um, picking this up right now made me go, oh, blimey, I'd love to do Tales from the Loop. And I've still, <laughs> I've still got an ambition to do things from the Flood. Um, I would, you know, I haven't played that at all, and I would very much like to do a campaign of Things of the Flood. Um, so I'm, I'm just, it's, it is, it is the worst kind, worst kind. I'm, I'm being a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's a particularly first world point of view. It is from a first world point of view. The worst, the worst <laughs> thing I've got here is such agony of choice. Um, <laughs> it is absolutely a first world problem, um, but. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know what to run. I want to kind of run them all, um, but I yeah. can't. I even had a thought. Oh, I could I could run the old James Bond from Victory Games again. That would be great. <laughs> so oh, I don't know. It's just I'm I'm, I'm struggling. Well, you know what? I need help. The beauty of the Tales of the Loop 
campaigns is that they're all relatively short. So you could run them in you know, yes. maybe eight sessions. And if you're meeting weekly, you can say, right, for the next couple of months, we're doing this. And then we're going to move on and do this. So um, so that might be fun. You could do Tales in the Loop. You could do this new adventure in, um, in Norfolk. Uh, this new yeah. campaign in Norfolk. Now, the other thing uh, we briefly talked about beforehand, and it'll come as a surprise to our colleagues uh, Andy and Tony, your brother. Um, but I was just wondering whether we mm. should, our Norfolk gaming weekend should be dedicated entirely to the grow up so fast. To gaming, each in, of us to gaming in Norfolk. An adventure. <laughs> both, yeah. both literally and, uh, and, and metaphorically. Yeah. yeah, it's an option. Yeah, it, it, we should, uh, you should raise that with the others and uh, mm. see what they think. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so that, that looks good. And it's nice to see that Free League are continuing to support one of their older games. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And not just, I thought the next thing we'd see would be a version of Electric State that was built into the world. And it's good to see that, no, actually we're you know doing new content for the first game. That's great. I like seeing that. Yeah, I mean, I would quite like to see, um, you know, a uh, yeah, a return to the Mutant Year Zero universe in some way or mm-hmm. another. Maybe a campaign. Well, that book. is still promised. Still yeah. promised. But, I mean, they are obviously so focused on, on you know, on the, you know, the big games they've got coming out. Obviously, I'm working on Alien at the moment. Um, Walking Dead yeah. is coming. Would, would you, you like know. them to drop Building Better Worlds in favour of uh, something you're not involved in, Dave? No. <laughs> obviously. Okay. Although we are going through the... Um, uh, the editing and redrafting thing, which is, which is, I, I suspect it's excellent. More pa- it's more painful for Thomas than it is for me, but it's quite painful for me. <laughs> mm. But it's good. It's good. It's good. we're getting there. Um, Watching Thomas kill your babies. No, not no, actually, not really. Um, I mean, no, okay. Uh, I, I think so. There, Watching there's, Thomas there's kill my which, babies, which which. So, so I've obviously done, you know, quite a lot of work for for Freely, quite a lot of work on Alien. I've only actually drafted one scenario, which was putting together Hope's Last Day, you know, our our yeah. scenario for the core book. Um, all the other stuff I've done, I mean, I, I you know, I've done some editing, I've done some like playability work, I've done quite a lot of writing, but kind of in terms of how the structure works together and the 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 style conventions that they have, which some of which yeah. check, have changed, actually. Um, I've done quite a lot in a way that they don't like. And if, if we had to sit down at the start and had a style guide, then we could have avoided mm. all of that. Um, but that's fine. It just it just means I think Thomas has had a... Yeah, quite a lot. It's of... interesting that it's changed because... Um... Not a I lot, definitely, not a I, lot, a little bit, but not, you know, in, way, in ways that I've then got to go back and fix still, though. Yeah, but, but it was when when I made um, uh, Summer for uh, summer in December, mm. that was uh, that was that was working really quite closely with Nils. And it was really useful getting the feedback from him that sort of unpacked the structure. And, you know, yeah. the Verson Adventures are already quite structured. So, you know, you look at the you look at the way they work, you think you have an understanding of what they're going and then hearing it from um Nils's point of view about what, how the structure was meant to work was really really useful actually. enlightening yeah so yeah. yeah so it's interesting i mean i found in in doing particularly the doing the expeditions so that's seven seven mm-hmm. scenarios all with a word limit of the same as hope's last day 
So not not mm-hmm. many not many words, and I, I got very focused, probably too focused, on cramming as much activity and action and mystery in to make those five thousand words into a full scenario. Yeah, um, and I think I've I think I've done pretty well actually overall, but it meant that I took my eye off some things like some of the structure and I didn't worry too much about it. So I'm now having to restructure it a little bit because mm. I haven't my, my original drafts aren't in the right structure. Yeah, which I could have mitigated a bit if I'd spent more time thinking about that and less time trying to basically pack a full scenario into what is effectively one act content. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it'll be fine. It'd probably better do it that way around, because at least I've got the content and the action and you know the the game there. Um, if I didn't have the game there, but I had the structure, that would be a worse thing because I can fix the structure. It just takes a little bit of time. Right. Yeah. So, so how long do you think this process you're in now is going to take you? Um, I mean, before you send, for want of a better word, a restructured draft back to Thomas. Uh, I, I hope to get that done in a week. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I've done some of it. Um, I worked quite a lot yesterday, basically getting the first expedition right and then saying to Thomas, "Is this this is right, isn't it, now? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. before I went on to the other ones. So I've got a bit of work there. I hope to do that in the next week. Um, it might cool. take a bit. And has he come back to you to say, yes, that's right? Or yes, are you still yes. working for that? No, 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 he's come back cool. and said, it's, that's much better. Um, it's in the right kind of place now, which is good. Cool. Uh, but there's quite a lot of work to do because there's a lot of content in there. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully in a week, but um, I'm I'm pretty busy. I've got other deadlines that I've got to meet as well, uh, mm. which is brilliant. You know, absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, so yeah. and I don't know how long the artwork and the layout will take to produce. So we're still we're still a few weeks, I guess, at least from getting to the point of, of putting it out for... Um, oh, for, now, for talking us. of artwork reminded me that you did... You have actually created an adventure for Alien before, which was Home Sweet Home. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which is now, I think, part of this. Um, I, ha- I have amended it, yeah, to make it one of... It's, mm-hmm. one, of, it's one of the expeditions now, um, mm. with, with changes to, to take it from being a cinematic into a campaign um, scenario. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was quite hard work actually, because also getting it because the my original draft of that was about twelve thousand words. Yeah. So getting that down to five thousand words to begin with, whilst maintaining, fr- whilst yeah, whilst maintaining the core of the story was 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 a bit of a challenge. But I've I've pretty much done it, and that's the one that we've now kind of edited and and Thomas is happy with. Cool. So we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting so there. there may there may be extant artwork for that one, of course, because there was yes. some stuff that they commissioned Absolutely. for that yeah. um, back then. Yeah, so we've got Great. We've got artwork for all the NPCs, bar one, I think, in that for mm-hmm. that. And we've got some other artwork that Gustav Eklund did back in the day. Absolutely fabulous. But there's a there's a brilliant picture of of of, of characters in a in a in, a, in an underground bunker, which I absolutely love, which is really cool. I won't say anything else because it's kind of a spoiler. <laughs> but um, yeah, so hopefully that one is is kind of ready to go. Um, but yeah, definitely making progress and lots of attention is uh, being focused on it by Free League right now. So it's it's in the machine and it'll pop out 
the other end ready to go hopefully in the not too distant future brilliant brilliant cool uh, uh and then maybe one day you'll get an award for your work dave <laughs> well i already have because destroyer of world won an award <laughs> and i and i worked on that yeah so. that was alien. mostly andrew gasker's work uh, there. alien well it was, it was drew's story of course um <laughs> but obviously i i i i was able to you burn- corrected his was, spelling I, in a few places I yeah i to- know I was able to burnish it a little bit with um, with some extra <laughs> extra content, which is very good. Right, um, and obviously Ali- Alien won an award as well, so we're both award winning game designers. Yeah, yeah, realize. yeah. That, 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 Although that is I mean, true. Yeah, your contribution to, to 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 the Alien book wasn't wasn't that much, was it really? If we're, well, if we're being it, honest. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> the story. The story was all mine. You just did the typing. I'm not sure about that actually, but. Um, <laughs> Anyway, before we get, before we fall out over this, yes, this is this is a nice attempted segue into uh, into the fact that the One Ring has won the best role playing game from on tabletop. I think that's where you're going. Yes, isn't it, Matt? that Excellent. is exactly where I was going. Congratulations. Um, the- the On Tabletop, and I quote, industry awards here. Now I didn't look into it in that much detail, but I, given that um, there is actually a games industry. Um, organization called gamma g games i can't think what it's called games no something. i don't know what it's called yeah uh, resellers and and manufacturers association i thought they're the ones who the gamma awards are probably the industry awards whereas as far as i'm aware tabletop is a website and a, a occasional um uh you know youtube and and podcast type yeah. outfit so quite how they got to call things the industry awards i don't know but anyway <laughs> let us not do down the award no. that the one ring won for Free League and, of course, for Francesco Nepatillo. Yeah, indeed. Congratulations. Very well deserved. That's another game that is on my list of games that I want to run a campaign <laughs> on. Although I think, yeah. I think it's just below the others at the moment. I've, I've, been, I've been reading through the core book and as much as I, as much as I love it, I think the others, there's a, there's, a, there's a premiership of games I want to play and then there's a championship level. And I think at the moment, the one ring is at the top. Yeah, it's it's in it's in the promotion places of the championship, but it's not in the Premier League for me at the minute. Yeah, I I think to some I don't know to me as a not a massive Tolkien nerd, um, I'm I'm feeling still a little bit under equipped to run a campaign. The um, yeah, the I think that's that's true. I, think I feel lost- the same. Yeah. You know that that's pretty good, but there is going to be a slightly more structured campaign thing coming out later this year, I think, or early next year, which I think will unlock that whole Middle Earth thing for me. So I think I might yeah. be waiting for that before I run it. Yeah, or playing it. Who can tell? We'll wait and see. One of us will run it, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I think I'm more interested to play it actually than run it myself. Ah, I I might. I was getting in when I read the Tharbad book. I was kind of interested in running it, so maybe mm. I'll run it for, um, and we'll 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 do that. But I think we're going to wait for yeah. that more structured campaign bit yeah, in, cool. before we do. Right now, let me tell you that we have been going for twenty five minutes, and if we only speak for five minutes on each of the twelve publications, we're going to go on for hour. another hour. Well, we can we can. We can give our kind of you know our capsule review of uh, yeah of each of these. We don't need to spend too long. Um, well, let us also just I just I'm going to take issue with one of the words you use there, capsule review. Now, 
I think, you know, to be honest, some of these documents are very long. We haven't read them all the way through. We haven't played any no, of them. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so our opinions will be from a flick through, and therefore I'm kind of nervous about calling it a review. No, that's a um, fair point. That's a fair point. Um, but yeah, we are is, shining is, the spotlight yeah. on some of these publications yeah. and giving you a little bit more detail. I mean, it's funny. I was and our first thinking impressions. About it when I was, yeah, I was thinking about it when I was reading it. And, the, you know, when we've done this before, you know, we are, we are keen to say we are not a review show. We are not reviewing these in the way that Barry Norman would have reviewed movies in... What, what mm -hmm. you know, film two thousand and one? You know, um, TV yep. program. Uh, but it's very difficult not to <laughs> actually, because <Yeah>. um, obviously, <laughs> oh, I think it's, it's, I think we we'll are, have we opinions are, on them. We, we are offering our opinions on them. Yeah, which is kind of a review almost. Yeah, but it's, I um, guess there is that. But absolutely, it is like you say. It's our first impressions. It's uh, you know, we're not trying to you know influence anybody, particularly against going out and getting any of these things. So I'd encourage people to, to go and get all of them if they're interested in them. Um, but yeah, I guess. Okay. Oh, let, let's now, on then. What's the first one? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, shall we start with Coriolis? Because we, we talked a little bit in the trial of Coriolis just two weeks ago, one of our most popular episodes, um, which I'd like to point out, Dave, I won uh, at least 3-0, if not 4. It's not a, if, com it's not a competition. <laughs> Not, in there, well, we mentioned actually, that... actually, on that point, I, I, I'm just going to interject here. Um, <laughs> that actually, I I agree with a lot of your points. You know, I, I think I think there are, and I agree about, with a lot of yours. There are there are things in Coriolis that that could be better. Um, yeah, but I think you know, if we are focused on the the actual exam question in you know in question, uh, you know, was the game and <laughs> has it endured well? I think the answer is yes, and I think I win on that on that basis. So, well, yeah, fuck you. But of our <laughs> listeners who expressed an opinion, I think you'll find I won. But I think they're answering the wrong question. <laughs> many, many of them agreed so, with both of us in many respects. That is but, true. Uh, anyway, so let us we <laughs> the we talked the there. First, about... The first rule of an exam is read the question and answer the question. Don't answer the question <laughs> you'd like it to be. So anyway. Please carry on. Uh, <laughs> you're putting me off my flow here. What I was going to say is back then we said how reliant Free League had become on content produced by the community to fill out the universe uh, or the horizon, I guess we should say. Yep. And so <clears throat> let's start off with some Coriolis content. And first of all, Dave, uh, one uh, with an apple that hasn't fallen all that far from this tree, given that we know the author is... Uh, our friend and patron Toby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is Coriolis Burr and Reputation. Um, it's uh, we've, I think we've talked about this before on the show, but it's um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's his take on how you can manage reputation as a mechanism for acquiring goods and services. Um, but it's also kind of a level of affluence as well. Um, mm -hmm. It's it it, it, it takes. Um, it takes a more abstract look at how you can manage acquiring those things that your character would need. And it uses reputation as a way of doing that. And you would then um, you know, make a role based on kind of you know, uh, modified by difficulty, uh, you know, a role on your reputation dice. And obviously the more 
yeah, exotic or rare or or, or um, difficult the service might be, uh, the harder it will be to, to acquire it. And you make a roll, and if you get one success, you achieve it. But then in that transaction, the, the, the person who is providing that service for you or that item for you is uh, expecting a favour back. And uh, you're encouraged to roleplay this. And it's a really nice way of doing it. I think reputation, particularly in most games, is a bit of a wasted stat. It's it's either done simply where it doesn't actually mean anything, or it's it has to be done in such detail um, because you know your reputation will depend upon the eye of the beholder and, and you know a subjective view of others. So it's difficult to to wrap that up all in one stat. So I love the idea of of taking reputation and making it a more important mechanic and a more important kind of economy um, in the game. So yeah, this is 16 pages long. There's plenty of information about how this should work. There are there are things called assets that you can use to enhance your chances of uh, your negotiation being successful, um, particularly if you're bribing. So there's a lovely little thing where if you want to bribe somebody, um, you would need to research what asset would be most uh, you know most useful in that bribe, and so that might be. Um, you know, if the, if the person you're trying to bribe is an alcoholic, it might be some exotic wine or, or, or spirit. If it's a family man, it might be something as simple as uh, child care services or uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. And I love it. It, it, it all encourages role playing. It encourages a, you know, a bit more um, peering into the average, you know, the average day, the, the, the basic life of these people. Um, I haven't used it at the table, so I don't know exactly how the mechanics works and um, in game but certainly reading it uh, and the and the, the the principles behind it I think it's uh, it's a really good idea and it, it like I says it might save the the stat of um, the stat of reputation from being a completely dead rubber and actually make it a powerful and useful tool for a player character yeah now we tried using it in its early form um the last time that we were playing uh, Coriolis online, and uh, this is this is developed since then. So, mm, yeah, um, that's kind of what I'm curious about: is how well is it developed? But um, we, we shall uh, explore that next time we sit round a virtual table to finish off the um, the Mercy of the Icons. Mercy of the campaign. Icons, yeah. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah, so um, I, yeah, I, you know, it, it looks good. And if you if you want to if you want to make more of of reputation in Coriolis, then this is definitely a very very good place to go. Right now, talking of very very good places to go, I want to recommend the Lost System, which is an adventure and part of a campaign, there or the first part I should say of a campaign called Last Song of the Horizon. Um, and this is by another friend. Isn't it interesting how when you do a podcast about Coriolis, you end up knowing a lot of the people that create stuff mm -hmm. for Coriolis. So this is friend of the show who I think we've interviewed in the past. Um, Moa Th uh, Thrift. I'm going to stumble over my words here. I've practiced before. Moa, Moa, Moa Frithiofsen, I think it is, isn't it? Frithiofsen, yeah. Um, <laughs> and Moa uh, has produced something that, frankly, is lovely. Um as you know, as a designer and artist, it's beautifully laid out. It's beautifully illustrated. 
Uh, it's got a great cover to it. Um, it's worth it's it, it's worth your money, I'd say, in production. She's taken the template, but adapted the template a little bit, uh, particularly on color key wise, to fit more closely with the themes of the adventure. It's a really exciting adventure. I just want to read a little bit uh, about it. First of all, the thing that made me think, oh, and then the thing that made me think, ooh, and it's, <laughs> it's all in the first paragraph. So the story begins with the player characters stumbling across a ghost ship, the Al-Hidad. Uh, the ship appears to have been abandoned with all its airlocks wide open. And I'm going, oh, yet another empty spaceship how many of those have we encountered mm -hmm. in, yeah. in adventures but it, but immediately um it uh uh on on the ships on the ship the pcs find a tabula belonging to the scientist elaha gal this leads them to her mother Erin gal on coriolis it turns out that elaha was leading an expedition hunting for a lost portal builder system the mythical Ayabis, rumoured to hold unimaginable riches. The expedition was lost eight segments ago and no one knows what happened to them. This leads the PCs on a long adventure for the so on long hunt for the so-called Imperial Gate, the portal that leads to Ayabis and whose position has long time been lost to the passage of time. Uh, the hunt takes the PCs all over the Third Horizon, including the desolate colonial station of Akana Three, the ice planet Qatar, and the mystical relic Ekran Ikharan's Eye. I already want to play this, just reading those first mm -hmm. two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And I'm already thinking this sounds better than most of the icons. <laughs> um, so, so that's all cool. good. Now, there are some things, um, and this may turn out to be a bit of a theme, uh there are one or two typographical mistakes that i think are errors in translation mm -hmm. um and what's most noticeable here is uh for example that one cycle ox six segments ago uh which for those of us who know our swedish we know that one cycle ox six segments is one cycle and six segments ago yeah. but um but yeah just i think People working in the second language, as Boa is, when she's laying this out, probably don't notice this word and. <laughs> you know, it's such a common word that you don't yes. notice it yeah. when you spelt it in the Swedish way and not in the English way. So there's a few topos like that missing, not as many as in, or not missing, I should say, uh, that appear. There are many more in another thing that we'll talk about in a little while. But um, and think, itself does seem to be a problem. I think you're right. It is a common theme because that's that's something that's come up in some of the ones I've looked at as well. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and there's also the, there's a new faction called the pale ring, which, um, you know, given that I was talking in, in the trial of, um, in the trial Coriolis. of Coriolis, yeah. that there were two, well, that it, it, it seemed to me that the creators of most of the icons are trying to narrow down the number of factions. I think there's too many. I think it, it's a brave thing to introduce another new faction. Um, and I might, I was wondering as I was looking through this and reading a bit about them, whether I might make them um, something to do with the Draconites as opposed to a, a pure faction on their own. But anyway, uh, I thought that was lovely. Um, the ship floor plans are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I, like and I, think good, one I like a good ship floor plan. 
Well, yeah, and it, it made me think, actually, that one of the slightly disappointing things about Coriolis is very often the floor plans are a bit mundane, uh, generic, um, mm. compared to the beautiful exteriors of some of these ships. Um, just, just you know, some, some of the floor plans are a bit lacking. You know, they could be a traveller ship or anything like that. Yeah. And the fl- floor plans in this one fit the shape of, you know, the exotic shapes of the ships and look interesting and mm. odd. And so I'm all for this this book. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm I'm just trying to. Uh, th- there are aliens in this. There is evidence of actual aliens, and most importantly, there is real physical evidence of the portal builders, ah, which okay. I love. Cool. Nice. Um, that sounds sounds good. So are you going to start running that for us then? Well, you know, I really want to run this. I I hmm. I, I really do. Um, yeah, and the, you know, there's a little caveat with the with the port builder stuff. She says, "Well, this is what actually happened." Obviously, you know how you tell this to your players um, can be a bit more flexible depending on what you've said before about the portal builders, or what you know can be a bit fuzzy if you want to wait and see what 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 free leagues say about the portal builders. Yeah. But no, this is people that are addressing the portal builders head on, and I think, for example, among our patrons, there would be many people who are interested in this and I would definitely recommend this too. Cool. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I'm up, I, I, I want to run this campaign at some point. Good. I look forward to it. Cool. Right. So uh, what's next on the list? Next is uh, a, a, a weighty tome called Canon Plus for Twilight 2000. Expanded Twilight 2000 background. And um, I will I will immediately fess up. I haven't read all of this because it's 122 pages long of quite um, uh, text-heavy document. So it is... It now, is when you say 122 pages, I immediately want to see, and I should have done this before, uh, how much it cost me uh, or cost us. Yeah, yeah uh, it'd be interesting to and see. And just yeah. to remind everybody that we will be putting links in the show notes to this. These links will be ones that earn us a bit of money. So if you're interested in any of these things, mm-hmm. then please try and approach drive-through with one of our links, and then it will give us five you percent know, um, of what you eventually spend there give us at no money. extra cost to you. And yeah. we spend all that money specifically on on these purchases. So where yeah. they pay what you want, we we pay at least what their recommended price is. Um, yeah. And this Canon Plus one cost ten dollars, so wow. that is less than ten cents a page. That is, uh, which that sounds is, like a bargain to me. That is excellent value. So yeah, so what does this cover? It's um well, <clears throat> first and foremost, it's a community project. Um, there's a number of different writers. It comes under, I think, the the editorship of uh, Jeffrey Lewis. Um, but it is a uh, it's obviously a collaborative. Um, uh, uh, what am I? What word am I looking for? Effort. Enterprise. Effort. Yeah. Enterprise. <clears throat> okay. um, and it gives you uh, background information, um, which is timeline, um, sort of order of battle. So you get quite a lot of information on on the kind of forces that would be around. And there are some campaign seeds for eleven different theatres of war, and these cover um, pretty much all over the world. So you've got China is a good one, uh, Angola. Um, 
Venezuela, Thailand, Turkey, North Korea, Nicaragua, Estonia, Australia. Um, so there's, there's, I think there's probably something in here for, for, for every Twilight 2000 fan um, uh, to get to. And so you've got 12 to 15 pages of, of, of pretty dense content for each of these under those mm. under those headings. And I say you've got well, four. So hold on. 12 to 15 pages of content for each of those uh, countries. Or thereabouts, anyway. Maybe a bit less. So a um, lot more mm. than you were asked to write, for example, for what had happened Absolutely. in the UK. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's, so there's a lot of information here. And... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I can't I can't comment on how credible um, their sort of backgrounds are and the, the the history, the run up to the war, how they how they might be. Um, but I can say that I think level, you'll find the, that Twilight Two Thousand players are well able to comment on how credible all these absolutely, are. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I can say that it looks like that there's been a huge level of research that's gone into this. Um, so I I would suspect that the these timelines are likely to be pretty credible. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it's cool. So each 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 theatre has also got a number of campaign seeds, which are quite mm. are quite detailed. Um, I think that each each one has four different campaign seeds, and it gives Ooh, you quite nice, yeah. quite a lot of information um, to build your campaign around around those. So that's really good as well. I did I did have a flick through a couple of them, and I looked through the Australia theatre. And I, as I was, as I was kind of skimming through it, I had a real feeling that it was setting up Mad Max while I was reading. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the original Mad, no, the real, the good Mad Max, not the crap Fury Road rubbish. Um, no, hold on, the crap Fury Road. I, hated I it. love Fury Road. I hated it. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't no, finish I... it. it. It so annoyed me. I couldn't. I, I stopped watching it halfway through. Just uh, I, I it, the best Mad Max. No, no. Anyway, um, but yeah. So that, that I'm sorry, that we're going to actually... have to stop doing a podcast together if we can't agree on the Fury Road. That's it. <laughs> I'm walking out now. I, I, I love Tom Hardy. He's brilliant. Um, and Charlie Charlie's Theron is usually pretty good. It, yeah. I, no, it was just it was just rubbish. Anyway, um, yeah. So, but reading through the Australia one really gave me that sense of this is the world setting up to run a Mad Max campaign, which I think would have been really cool. So. As I said, it's 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 long. There's 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 information like just like bursting out of every page on this thing. It's excellent, excellent value for that price. Um, mm-hmm. I I think you know if you're a, if you're a Twilight two thousand fan, you probably ought to just get it anyway because there's going to be so much in here. Um, there's a lot of research gone into the the forces and the troops that might be, um, might, you know, would have existed and might then persist after the war uh yeah i i'd really recommend it <clears throat> i think it's uh it's a brilliant um source book for uh cool. for, for for any twilight 2000 campaign excellent excellent um and it's interesting i i think it's worth pointing out that when we were looking at you know things to purchase for this this spotlight there is a lot of twilight 2000 stuff Mm, um, loads, I know. think I'm. I mean, I haven't necessarily counted, but I think um, it's probably the most popular of the IPs on the Free League um, uh, workshop to to create content for. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess you know when Free League did edition, um, fourth edition, you know they were 
already bringing on a huge community of Twilight 2000 fans, which, you know, in many mm. cases, in many senses, is a really, really good thing. It brought some issues and problems with it around expectations and all of that. But I think you know, the amount of fan content out on, on drive-thru is a direct, you know, correlation to the fact that they had a really... It's almost like an IP, um, mm. you know, like a- Alien or something, but without the licensing problem. So yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not surprised that um, that Twilight 2000 has got such a big, uh, you know, fan following and such a big content um, base for it. No, that's, that's that's really good, and I guess it also shows that whatever the controversy when it was being kickstarted and people were concerned about whether the system would fit, uh, that this content proves that those fans, a good number of them at least have come aboard and are staying yeah. on board and producing the content, which is great. And if it yeah. makes if it makes their Twilight 2000 or your Twilight 2000, if you're playing closer to the Twilight 2000 that you want to play, then then that's all to the good as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I also looked <clears throat> at the Twilight 2000 um, supplement, but it's not actually Twilight 2000 because okay. what I looked at, was Twilight twenty two forty nine? Yeah. Now twenty three hundred, but in another. Skin. I was, to be honest, I was kind of hoping it was because we had some great twenty three uh, two hundred yeah. uh, twenty three hundred campaigns uh, when we in, we were playing with Andy Brick running them, um, but it isn't. It isn't. Uh, to be okay. fair, I think. It is a science fiction version of Twilight 2000. It is set among the stars. It is, I think, closest to something like Alien mixed with the Expanse as a setting. And it's not starships, particularly. It's still Twilight 2000. They say it's still a survival-based game. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure whether it is. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the you know it doesn't it doesn't appear to be focused like Twilight 2000 is on uh, a lack of resources. Um, I've got it here actually, and I made some notes on it, so I should look at those and rather than waffle on what I'm talking about. Uh, that would that would help. It'd be nice if you didn't so waffle so much. Yeah. Yeah. So it's written by Cody Bannon. Um, that's the first one. And it's a one-man band. And if I'm going to criticise Cody for anything, it's that Cody obviously feels he can't draw because there are no illustrations in this at all. Okay. It's, um, it's what, 65 pages of dense text um, right. and tables and stuff like that. Um, it's got quite a nice cover. I don't know who did the cover for Cody. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's little illustrations in there. And yeah, and he sets out a a new setting, a United Earth and System setting, where uh, all the countries have joined together. Um, one of the things I um I have a problem with, and again, I'll read this out to you because I thought it was interesting. He talks about the creation of the United Earth um, interstellar marines, and uh, says finishes off with the marines are ready to serve, though some question who or what they'll be called on to fight now that Earth is united under one flag. And that that got me off on one. Obviously, you know, if you're Cody and you're sitting down with a bunch of players and you say, I'm going to take this into 2300 
territory or whatever he said, uh, your players all come back going, oh, 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 we want to be Marines like in Alien. Um, yeah. You've got to have a Marine Corps then. Uh, and and yet I couldn't, you know, he, he tries to create a history that... Um, that requires the uh, the creation of a fighting force, but there isn't really one there. And th- there are reasons to have fights afterwards, in that there are separatist movements and things like that that all happen. But they kind of happen after the creation of the Marines, um, right? And I just made me go on. I, I then started going, ah, what would I have done if I'd been in the same place? You know, and you've got a united Earth. You've got the corporations and the countries all working together. You've got. Uh, at one point, he talks about uh, a ship designed in America but powered by Chinese engines uh, or colony resourced with stuff from the European Union and Latin America. So he works really hard on building cooperation, which I like. I like. Um, and, but then, then he has the problem of well, you know, how do we, why do we need a massive navy and marine force? Uh, and he doesn't really answer that. And I was wondering instead whether he should have looked to. Um, for example, uh, our uh, sank ports arrangement before we in Britain had a navy, uh, we had uh, five towns full of pirates who who used to just do usual piracy most of the time. But when France threatened, they'd work with the king and um, and and unite to uh, to be a sort of de facto navy for us. And I just wondered whether they ought to be looking at you know corporate corporate security forces all coming together at an appropriate mm. time anyway there there is then a campaign set on um ice Zeit, which is a frozen planet i thought i'd written down what it was it's german for something but it's a mm. cold and inhospitable world um there are separatists there are religious cults as well who are causing problems and there's a bit of a campaign around that um which which it gives you too. So yeah, it, it, I mean, in terms of contributing to, uh, if you like, expanding twenty uh, Twilight two thousand. You know, he's talking about drop ships and um, flying flying vehicles, and he's got a system for that. There are some more character backgrounds that are obviously focused on colonialism uh, and and stuff like that, rather than mm. the. The, you know the very mundane character backgrounds that you get in twenty three hundred. Um, so it's a it's a very efficient piece. Um, lots of words, lots of good background. A useful resource, definitely, if you're looking on changing the setting for your um, for your twenty three hundred. Which, after the invasion of Ukraine, I am convinced many owners of twenty three hundred want to do. So yeah. if they do, they should look at this one. Cool. Good, excellent. So next, uh, uh, we yep. have some Forbidden Lands. <clears throat> so I looked mm-hmm. at uh, Forbidden Lands, Castles and Strongholds by Pablo A. Falero. And these, <laughs> this is uh, expanded r- rules for Forbidden Land, Castles and Strongholds. It's, uh, it's 24 pages. It's packed full of good stuff. Now, this is the kind of thing that is really up my street. I, I love... Things like that's this. why I put it in your folder to review. Yeah, now that was cool. That was cool. So the, it, it kind of breaks it into two two parts. The first part is about the foundation of the castle. Um, you know, long before any player gets their grubby hands on it. And this 
this is just the kind of thing I love. It's it's really nicely done, and it's all about fleshing out the history of the castle. So there are um, there are tables that allow you to randomly uh, randomly roll your your castle and where it came from. Um, kind of who founded it, why was it founded, um, what sort of founding events are there. So there are tables where you can roll d sixty six. Um, where you've mm-hmm. got two columns and you roll it twice and you get a nice uh, a, a nice mix of, of things. So things like, for example, um, it could be you know, a victory in battle in the vicinity attracted a religious group to the castle or a huge fire raised hopes of neighbouring settlements or you know, the, the, the quell of a rebellion um, caused the destruction of a settlement and this kind of stuff. So and you can roll this. It's all totally random. Um you, know, you roll for the size of it, you can roll for the condition of it, you can roll for the age of it, um, where is it, uh, and it has um, a thing that, that they call, which I think is slightly, slightly the wrong word, they call, they call them locations, so the castle has locations, these are locations within it, I think a better mm-hmm. word would be, would be features or aspects or, or, mm-hmm. or something like that, and, and this is talking about, you know, does it have a well, does it have a blacksmith, does it have... A shrine, all this kind of, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and this is really good. I love it. This first half of the document, I think, is great, and I could easily see myself happily rolling up, you know, a whole countryside full of castles, um, and getting really well created and, and 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 nicely generated background information for all of them, and each one would feel totally unique. I love it. Um, the second half, it starts talking about how they then become strongholds and how you manage that. Um, and this is where, for me, it even starts to get a bit too complicated. Now, I quite like complicated things in this kind of area. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think... I'm fully aware that you like complicated <laughs> You're familiar. Things. You're familiar with that, yes. Um, but even for me, I think this is a bit overcomplicated. So they talk about, you know, talk about everything. It's like um, different types of inhabitants, you know, and... and some of one type of inhabitant, depending how many you've got, those influences the number of inhabitants you've got of a different type. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got you know rules about repairing and building, which are fine, I think, but um, still it just feels quite quite complicated in the way. I mean, it's complicated. I say detailed is perhaps the better word because, like with Forbidden Lands, you do get into the very very nitty gritty detail of bookkeeping around. You know, I need three hundred units of wood in order to make this item and I need 55 units of iron and so it can get very very specific like that if that's if that's what you want and this stronghold element of this um, castles and strongholds expansion does exactly that it does get into a lot of detail it also gets into detail of sort of natural resources and where you can find them and how much you can gather from them Um, now I was tired when I read this last night but I, I started kind of losing not the will to live, but it just became a bit too much for me at that at that moment. So I think it, it's great if you are really up for that nitty gritty bookkeeping of every aspect of your stronghold when you get it. Um, but it's possibly just a bit too complicated. Um, the other thing I would mention is what you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> and again, I think this is a uh, a language thing. So I, I suspect Pablo is English probably isn't his, his first language. Mm-hmm. That there are there are obviously um, typos in the document where language um, isn't English, for example. So there are there are foreign language words in there that aren't English. It's not it's not terrible in terms of stopping you understanding what is meant and using the book mm-hmm. at all. 
but it obviously it's um it's a point of detail in the production that that could quite easily have been um been remedied um yeah so, he could so do with a native english proofreader who doesn't know any spanish yeah absolutely yeah mm. so but i think i mean it's 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 great it's 24 pages long um as i said i think some of the stronghold stuff gets a little bit into the weeds for me but the 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 foundation of the castle part of it the first third first third of the book is fabulous i love that i think it's really good and as i said i can see myself rolling up lots of lots of different castles and having a completely different location and site every time i've finished rolling those dice so cool, I, cool. I would certainly recommend. I, it. I, I've got to say, if you think the rules for running the castle are too complicated, then they are definitely too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, in, in, as I said halfway through, I think detailed is possibly the better word than complicated. Yeah, because it does get down yeah. into that real nitty gritty of the detail, which is just a level too too far for me. I think. Um, yeah, but it will be right up many people's streets. I'm sure. Mm, yes, maybe. I'm. I'm just. I'm just aware of the fact that I'm always telling you that system's too complicated. It's too complicated. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I can imagine I'll be saying that a lot. Now, it, by total coincidence, um, my Forbidden Lands uh, pick is by the same bloke, um, ah, okay, and cool. suffers from some of the same problems. Um, ah. Okay. And <laughs> this is where you get. Uh, there's a number of typos there. Yeah. As you say, it doesn't make it unreadable, um, but it does jar a little more than in some of the other typos we see. So, for example, um, uh, there's a sadly the typos often often happen in headlines. Yeah, um, I find it tables. There are table headings yeah. that um, I found were were, were particularly um, vulnerable to this. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's there's one that I'm sure I can find where, uh, again, and this is where I said and, there's, there's a couple of places. Uh, for example, Monsters Eat NPCs is perfectly readable if, you're, if you've got a, you know, a, a moment of Spanish in there. Um, but, but yes, it's one of those things you don't particularly stop. Um, so what I've got, I should say, right at the beginning is... Um, Forbidden Lands, Shadows on the Wall. And Shadows on the Wall, Details of Village. Um, uh, and indeed, I, somewhere I made a note of this. I, apart from the Strongholds one, he's got a, he's obviously got a, a more detailed How to Found a Village um, expansion, which I can't now see what it's called. Yeah, Towns and Villages is what it's called. So he's obviously used that to build the village of Swanford. I'm nice. a little bit disappointed that it's, although it's quite a large village, it's still only a village and not a town, because I think one of the things that suffers in um, Forbidden Lands is, you know, all its communities are very small and I wouldn't mind some slightly larger communities. And I think right, yeah. I've often heard other people say that as well. So arguably when I bought this with the, Really, quite urban-looking cover with some lovely big houses on. I was thinking, oh, is this a, you know, is this a town? And it turns out not to be a town. It's just a large village, uh, but it's good. It's it's well made, as you said. Everything uh, it's got a great history, which obviously is built up out of his towns and villages supplement. Um, I am curious, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down a challenge 
to uh, to Pablo here. And I don't know whether you saw this in, in Strongholds, but I couldn't find any credit for the illustrations. Uh, I didn't look. I can, though. Okay. Why don't you have a quick look for those? I can't find any here. And I only say that because the illustrations are lovely. Um, I It may be that Pablo does them all, in which case that's brilliant, but he should say these are my illustrations you yeah, know. It's, uh, uh, yeah can, on, on on the um castles and strongholds it's basically design and writing and pablo is the only name that's referenced so yeah maybe like you say he's just not called it out specifically yeah and if um, you're if, if these are pablo's illustrations then they are lovely and he should and obviously design comes from drawing and maybe if it's spanish it is the same word used for illustration and possibly, for yeah. topography and, and layout. Um, but I'm reading that in my English sense as only the layout and typography. Uh, whereas actually, if he's done these drawings as well, I'm not I'm not convinced they're all by him because there's slightly different, somewhat Stylist. slightly stylistic differences mm. <clears throat> among them. But they are all great. And Pablo, if, if these are yours, then, then take mm. credit for them because they're Absolutely, lovely. And if they're yeah. not yours... You really should give credit, even if you've downloaded them off a copyright free artwork site or anything. Just just flag up that site because everyone will want to go there. <laughs> um, uh, and then maybe that's why you're not crediting it, because these are, these are really good. You don't want everybody else to be spoiled with these <laughs> Possibly, beautiful yeah. illustrations. One more to yourself. Uh, but yeah, that's my only sort of criticism of it. Uh, well, that and the, the slightly English trans. Some of the... Um, uh, Yes, it's, it's some of the 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 translation I did think it to begin with was quite clunky, but then I actually thought no, it's it's actually pretty good translation. It's yeah, only the yeah. typos that let it down. Absolutely, I've got another another one here. <laughs> I honestly thought we were going to be introduced to a cult or a creature called the Truth uh, before I realised. Oh no, what it is is that's an extra H in the word the Truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's, it's all it's good a, stuff. It's a minor point, and actually, yeah, the, the the layout and all that looks lovely. It, it looks very, very good. Um, yeah, like you say, just just um, some of these finer details, just to iron out for next time, perhaps. Yeah, so um, I, I'd recommend it. So, you know, if you don't, if you're a GM who doesn't want to do all the dice rolling in in either strongholds and and castles, or in um, towns and villages that this is the work done for you the dice have been rolled the results have been strung together into mm. what looks like <clears throat> a great little adventure site and yeah. i would again recommend it cool right we are banging on a bit here so i think we might need to pick up the pace a little bit yeah we're uh, really past an hour but we've not got so many to do now so moving on next we've got something from simba room and it's called mm. The Unsung Heroes of the Abomitorium by Peter Cleval. Or Cleval. Um, and this is, uh, in his own words, um, a kind of a Monster of the Week supplement from the mm. Planetorial Amphitheatre in Thistlehold, which is the Abomitorium. And this is all about monster hunting. I do wonder whether, whether Peter's a big fan of the monster hunting video games that my sons are. Because um, oh, yeah. this is... Uh, uh, you know, this is this is a excellent little supplement to allow you to play uh, kind of the monster hunters who are who are part of the Abominorium's uh, requisition squad, and you are sent out to acquire the monsters that they want to fight 
in the next week's um, gladiatorial bouts inside the amphitheatre. And you go out with a cage on a cart and um, basically capture monsters to order. Mm. Uh, he gives us three... So extra- there's a little bit of the Witcher in there as well, isn't there? Because isn't he a monster hunter? I guess, uh, I suppose. I mean, he doesn't bring him back in a cage, I think. No. But, um, but no. I think he's commissioned to kill monsters. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's totally think, passed me by as a friend. I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, The Witcher isn't something that I... Predict. I played a bit of the game, The Witcher 3, which is quite fun, but I haven't really... Mm. I haven't read the books or, or watched the series particularly. Anyway, um, so, so Peter here gives us three new archetypes, which are specifically uh, related to this crew. You get the catcher, you get the driver, and you get the tracker. And you get new abilities like Beast Whisperer, Smith for making all the chains and manacles that you're going to need, um, cart handler, which I think is quite a good one, which is oh is nice, make, yeah, it's yeah, exactly it's making something really good and interesting that you might want to play out of something that otherwise might be really boring. You know, you're the guy who just yeah. drives the cart, but actually this is an important role um, in uh, you know in in this in this team. So I really like it. It also gives you a bit of background to the abomitorium itself, and um, uh, yeah, allows you uh, yeah to. Obviously, your players, your, your your player characters are going to have to go there, and they're getting their orders from from there. And then, obviously, this is where they bring stuff back. So it's lovely; it's really nicely done. Um, there are a number of missions which are, are listed at the back, and again, these allow you. You know, the intention of this is to allow a GM to to basically kick off a a quick monster of the week scenario with with minimal prep. Um, when we were talking, I think before we came on air. Um, mm-hmm. about, you know, needing games that for a GMR, low prep and low maintenance, yeah. particularly at the moment, you know, with less time to, to devote to designing them. And this is really good. So some of the, some of the, um, the missions you've got at the end, um, there's a, there's a couple I, I particularly, oh, the one I particularly like is called Champions of Davakar. And I'll read it out. Well, the PCs are tasked with finding different kinds of animals, but of the same type. For example, different kinds of reptilians or different kinds of spiders. To find out what Davakar's mightiest monster of that particular type is. When only one remains, the reigning gladiatorial champion is sent out to fight it, to, to see who is mightier, man or beast. And it's uh where are we? It was um So yeah, so one of the missions is called Infinite Legs, where they're tasked with <laughs> finding spiders and other many legged creatures. And you've got a few others, there's you know, attack from above, so you need flying creatures, and attack from the sea where you need something that, you know, like giant crabs and stuff. And it's cool. it's a it's a really nice little thing. It's it's very well put together. Um, I didn't notice much in the way of um, typos or anything like that. So it's it, it's a good de- good level of detail to it. And um, yeah, seven pages long. And it's nice. I really like it. And and I, I like the idea of having a campaign where you are playing a crew like this who are going out and um, yeah, maybe not the whole time, but certainly one of your jobs might be to go and acquire these monsters. And um, that sounds yeah, good to me. I, I certainly certainly recommend it. Unsung here is the the abomitorium. Uh, thumbs up for me, very much so. You'll you'll be wanting to play a Simba Room campaign if you recruit next. <laughs> Add that, that to the list. That well, actually, no, I'm not. I'm not getting the the, the drive to, to to run Simba Room again. No, that's right. that's that's in the championship, not the Premier League at the so, moment. I might edit that out, or or, or we'll lose the uh, sort of patronage of. Um, of Neil. 
<laughs> no, I totally <laughs> get that people love it, um, and I love it. I, 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 but I've run a campaign, and it's not, it's not just on my list of things to do in the immediate yeah. future. Well, um, and there are so many things that are. That's the challenge. Yes, Too many games, exactly. not enough life, as you worked out many years ago. <laughs> now, yep. I will Did just you... say at this point that you've missed out from our running order, Verson, so we're going to return to that. Did I? Okay, after sorry. I have briefly discussed um, another of the oh, lesser l- lesser games uh, from, uh, uh, from Free League, which is Cyborg. Now... This, out of all the purchases we made, this is my most disappointing one. I wasn't expecting very much from it, though, because it was just a round dollar. And it's a simple one-page adventure for Cyborg. Okay. Um, Now, I'm not going to comment on it too much, but it's an interesting thing that I did notice there's quite a lot of Cyborg content on the Free League Workshop. And my big question is why? because Cyborg's got a pretty open license. You can use Cyborg IP without needing to go through the Free League Workshop. Um, okay. You know, like Morkborg. Yeah. Uh, so somebody selling um, uh, on, you know, if, if you sell a thing on Cyborg, you sell it for a dollar on, Cy- on, on the Free League Workshop, you get 50 cents back. Whereas if you sell it in your own right, just you know, set yourself up as a as mm. a drive through publisher. You're you're immediately getting seventy p seventy cents back on yeah. that dollar there. So I'm kind of curious, and you don't see much Morkborg stuff, and neither should no. you because because people find Morkborg stuff in all sorts of places. I just wonder whether Cyborg sellers feel the need to use the workshop as their route to the market. Well, whether I was, was going to say that because I mean probably you know you're going to get the right people coming to that bit of the platform. Whereas mm. maybe you fear that if, you, if you're if you not on the platform, people won't look for Cyborg just generally. They'll go straight to the Free, yeah. league, free league Workshop. Um, perhaps maybe that's the thinking behind it. Yeah. So or anyway, maybe, this is a one-page adventure. Or maybe people don't even realise they can, can do it on their own. Maybe they... Well, maybe yeah, a lot of people that's think, why I thought we think, should bring it up in conversation. Yeah, so absolutely. anybody listening who's producing cyborg information, you don't have to use the Free League Workshop to produce your cyborg stuff. As I understand it, it works under the same license as Mortborg, which is you can produce stuff for it any way you want and sell it in any any channel you want and keep all the money because they just want to see great stuff being created for cyborg. Um, Now, when I picked this up, I was expecting it to be a bit like one of the sort of pamphlet um, adventures of Walkbog that I very much enjoyed. And I'm afraid this doesn't come up to master uh, okay. on that regard. It's fine, but it's only fine. That's that's all I can say. It doesn't have... Uh, the, those sort of little pamphlet adventures, in very few words, are able to create, you know, quite an involved and hilarious adventure. Um, and, and this one, which is called... Um, I don't think I even mentioned the name of it, so I should do. Green Pieces uh, for Cyborg doesn't seem to manage that depth of content out of those few words. And that's a chat, you know, I, I'm not sure that I could write uh, a one, you know, a Panthers adventure it's that does It's probably the hardest skill, actually, I think, in writing games is writing something that's great, but in very, very few words. But, yeah. You know, it's, it's a real challenge. It's very difficult. Um, now, uh, this is from a chap called John. I don't know his full name, but um, he does have a Patreon, which we'll also link to 
in the show notes as well. And it may be that, you know, sign up there and get weekly content and those those all build up together. Maybe looking at just this one thing hasn't really given me um, the best very insight much, uh, yeah. to go on. John is a gargantuan nerd uh, who writes science fiction and fantasy for a living. Um, cool. Yeah, and this is... Uh, there's just all sorts of things here. You know, it's a raid on an oil rig, and we've done some oil rig-based adventures of our own, so we know what that's like. Uh, not necessarily in Cyborg. It it didn't quite have that marvellous magic that happens in these very few words. Right. But like, maybe I should stop <clears throat> criticising now. I will just remember that you're doing this for a corporation and rule zero of Cyborg is that um, you're working for the enemy if if you're yeah. working for a corporation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, it's, yeah, as I say, it's fine. Um, and it's only a dollar. So why am I criticizing it too much? Hmm. Uh, there's an adventure there. If you're stuck for an adventure, here's one on a, on a large piece of paper. Yeah, one cool. side. Cool. Well, talking of of something that of the of the of the um uh, you know the one the one product one sheet that, the one product that kind of disappointed you the most. Um, All right. In, interestingly, I feel similar about the archetype, the riverboat gambler for Versum, um, which is produced by Thomas Bailey. It um. It, it says on the front. Introduction. The Riverboat Gambler is one of four new archetypes. So I would love to see what the other three were. Because this stock is only two pages and it's just the Riverboat Gambler archetype. Mm -hmm. um, archetypes created for, for, for use in um, as a versing games set in New Orleans. Which I like the idea of that very much. Yep. Um, the artwork for the Riverboat Gambler is really good. I like that. It's really nice. Looks a bit like Bill Skarsgård, if if people know who he is, actor. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really really nice. But the the archetype itself is just a bit okay. Um, it's it hasn't for me um, built the, the it didn't so much of Versen when you read it just creates a feeling within you. Um, yeah. That 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 you know just a just just. It, draws you into that world and and this archetype maybe it's the archetype that i'm not so keen on um itself rather than the way it's presented um doesn't really do that for me so the riverboat gambler is as you would expect a bit of a poker player a bit of a high shyster a bit of a con man yeah uh yeah he's got talents that that, that reflect that um yeah and this is something i think which is which is common to Versen actually in that quite a lot one one criticism perhaps of Versen is some of the talents are really boring um, <laughs> and they, they, they give you a, a pretty minor kind of boost in certain circumstances but quite a lot they're, they're not very imaginative and Thomas his talents are obviously following the Versen feel and they, yeah. they don't feel very very interesting to me as talents so i think you could do a lot more with with a bit more imagination in um you know making these talents come to life so the, the three talents are odds stacked in your favor which is you know you've played enough hands and grown comfortable reading other people that you develop an instinct and know when things are going to go your way betting the farm you know obviously about gambling and and and, and gaining more advantages effectively and then poker face which is about you know about bluffing um, and ignoring yeah. mental conditions when you're making a manipulation or inspiration test, which are all fine, and they are all kind of 
you know, um, par for the course for, for Vess and uh, talents. But I always think when you're doing something like this, here's a chance to take the talent a step further and do something that's really interesting. So when you read it, I love the titles. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. But when I read the talent, I thought, okay, well, I'm not really that fussed, actually. So it's only a couple of pages long. I would love to see what the other three are um, that, that are, are, are created for, for New Orleans setting. I think New Orleans, you know, in the 19th century is a great place to set Verson. Um, really good. But uh, I would like to get more of the look and feel coming out of the coming out of the archetype and see what the other ones are because I, I i suspect the other ones might be more more my speed in um uh, in getting that look and feel at verson uh in new orleans yeah okay um i maybe got more value um from my verson contribution uh which is the magazine verzine uh i imagine that's how you pronounce it <laughs> uh which uh, has uh, a lot in it, um, including an interview with our patron and friend of the show, Thomas, who um, ah, cool. an interview yeah. all about uh, his Japanese version uh, nice. supplement, which was really lovely to read. Um, uh, if I've got a criticism, there's lots of content in Verzine, and I've just appear to have lost it. <laughs> so I don't know where my notes for that have disappeared to. And I'm not. I, I think we're running short of time, so I'm not going to waste time looking at them. My my overriding memory of Verson is a lot of it's written by one per person, and I was reminded of that actually right at the beginning of this uh, showcase when you were talking about the Twilight 2000 um, canon expanded canon. Yeah. Uh, about how many people have contributed to that, and I feel a thing that brands itself as a magazine should have more contributors, really, than this one did. Right. It's yeah. fine. It's great. There's loads of content in there. Um, but I'd like to have seen a few more different voices um, speaking right. or, or, or writing in there. And I think, given I've lost my notes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that review there. Right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Right. Well, moving on to my last, um, my last, my last purchase now. So... This is uh, D66 Paradise Valley Encounters by Adrian Kennelly, I think it is. Um, yeah, this is in the Mutant Year Zero universe, but specifically for Gen Lab Alpha, Paradise Valley being the, uh, the location where all the animals are being kept and are being experimented mm -hmm. on. Um, and this gives you, as the name suggests, a D66 table, um, so 36 encounters, um, that all take place in and around Paradise Valley. And this really, like I said at the start, this really has made me want to play in the Mutant Year Zero world again. Um, and I don't know which game I want to play. So I mean, I think the only one I, <laughs> I'm probably staying away from a little bit, I'm less interested, is Elysium. But mm -hmm. uh, Mechatron, Genlab Alpha, and Mutant Year Zero itself, um, I wouldn't know which one of those three I'd want to play because they'd all be great. I mean, I could do yeah. I might do if I'm if I do run it. Maybe do a, um, a universe where all three apply, so people can play any of them. Yeah, of um, course there is. There's that adventure, isn't there, that brings everybody together. The grey yes. something. So, yeah. so basically, um, each campaign in each book is the is the kind of the origin story where you go from as the Mechatrons 
you know, you've become mm. self-aware. You then go through the the factory and emerge on the surface at the end of the campaign. And I think similarly with GenLab Alpha, I think the end of the campaign there sees the animals escape and emerge into the world of Zero. So playing through those takes you, brings you to that to that place. But anyway, um, I'm talking about Paradise Valley Encounters. So, yeah, as I said, first and foremost, it makes me want to play again. It's really nicely done. It's, it is basically a D66 table with 36 encounters, each one of, each one of which is, is really in depth. There's a lot of information there. Um, but it's narrative stuff. It's not worked out encounters with stats and uh, you know the number of uh, enemies or detailed problems or, or, or issues to solve. They are very, very narrative. They're, they're all really good ideas, um, or the ones I read. I didn't read them all again, but um, I skimmed through it. Mm-hmm. They're really good ideas for, for a campaign, I think, rather than, um, you know, as a starting point for a campaign, rather than a, a ready-made encounter that, as a GM, you could just roll the dice and start running the game. Because some of the encounters, um, they're kind of less of encounters and more of campaign seeds, actually, in, for some of them. And that's great um, if if that's what you want. If you're looking for something that's going to give you a ready-made encounter to run for a couple of hours and all you need to do is pick up this book and roll a dice, then it's not going to do that for you because you'll still, as a GM, need to put a bit of work in. But certainly, I would certainly use it as a source of story inspiration. And, you know, you could use, you know, there are 36 scenario or campaign ideas just there waiting to go. And so for that for that purpose, I think it's great. But it's not going to it's not going to be the answer to your question, um, your problem, if you want to pick up something and just run it without worrying about right. any prep. It won't do that for you. But no. I, it's great. It is really good, and some of the ideas in there are really, really super. Um, but just just be aware of what it what it actually is, really, rather than um, rather than an, an encounter, random encounter um, generator. Right, so the last piece that we're talking about then um, is for another of the games we were talking about right at the beginning of the show, um, Tales from the Loop. Oh, yeah. And this is uh, an adventure for Tales from the Loop called Summer Camp Spy Games, and it's by Mm. Peter Claval, um, with editing by Tina Monk. And this looks like great fun. Um, Now... It's set in the, well, I was going to say the Swedish loop. It's actually set within that archipelago, but I think a little bit distant from the loop. Um, the Merleran uh, Islands. Yeah, I'm not sure that the Merleran Islands at all. Um, I'm just trying to remember. Uh, let me have a look on the map and see if the map mentions which which part of the archipelago it is. Um, archipelago? Isn't it Archipelago. Archipelago, yes. Archipelago. Um, yeah, it's an archipelago. archipelago. <laughs> um, so it's near, I think, the town of uh, Duro, um, which I don't think is, is on the loop map. Uh, okay. The idea is that your kids have been sent away to summer camp. Um, uh, so they're not at home having their lovely summer uh, in, in, the, in the home they know so well. But mm-hmm. they're in a, a slightly different place. However, there are shenanigans afoot because something else that has come from the loop to this archipelago is um, <laughs> archipelago. 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 
<laughs> is uh, is a particle or, or information on a particle accelerator. And of course, this points to the thing that I have literally never thought of, and yet I can't understand why, in that the 80s was a period where we were still in a Cold War with um, the Warsaw Pact. And uh, this is the first time I've seen mention of that in the alternate universe of Terrace in the Loop. But okay. here you have a Soviet spy. Somebody has already uh, stolen um, important facts for a railgun from, uh, from the Loop. Particle accelerator, you can see railgun similar technology it might not be what the loop guys are interested in but they have done some development work the russians are really interested in a railgun because of reagan's star wars mm. uh program so they want to be able to shoot missiles too um so they want to get hold of this uh these have been located and which i will i i i will try and make this as spoiler free as possible <laughs> yeah um uh, so these plans are somewhere in this part of sweden and a, there is a Russian who has come here by submarine to pick up the package and uh, wasn't wasn't expecting a summer camp to be nearby. <laughs> uh, kids and shenanigans ensue. And it looks like quite a good little adventure, basically. Cool. Um, quite good fun. I like particularly that it's illustrated with photographs, but the photographs have a really 80s feel to them. So, you know, if you can't get Simon Stallenhag to do your art, mm -hmm. then just even the, you know, the slightly Kodachrome colour of these uh, these photographs um, does quite a good job of making you think you might be in the 80s. Nice. Nice little um, uh, photographs of character portraits as well. Uh pictures of a hard drive which many of our younger listeners might not really understand but um <laughs> for those that don't it's um a weird technology from the 80s <laughs> which they <laughs> use to store information and there's a lovely picture one there and um as you might imagine the hard, the hard drive is the uh the macguffin for this adventure yeah so um yeah so i'm without spoiling it too much i can say it's a it's an adventure that i'd quite like to run and um nice and uh, and therefore that has got to be high praise indeed. <laughs> has it now? Okay, cool, cool. Well, there we go. Twelve products, twelve, uh, twelve things. All I was going to say reviewed, all delved yeah. into, all delved. We've delved. <laughs> We've done a lot of all delving. Delved. The, the the spotlight has been shone on these twelve yes. products. When we're not at the archipelago. Uh, yeah, I, I was just really struggling on the on the on the past tense for shine, actually. But I believe Sean is the Sean is indeed the word. Um, so there we go. Right, right and well, we have gone on we have. for over an hour and a half. So it's time for you to shut up. <laughs> and you. So bye everyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll I'll let you do the goodbyes. But first of all, let's say um, in the next episode. We hope to have the writer, uh, Oz Mills, the writer of... Um, they Grow Up, they so, grow up fast. so Fast. Indeed. So there'll be more Tales from the Loop. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.